guys and welcome to Taylor's Life. Today I've got an awareness episode and it's going to be quite hard to listen so a trigger warning here is absolutely vital. So we're going to be talking about postpartum psychosis today so if this might be triggering to anybody then I do recommend you listen to another one of my podcasts. But today I'm joined by Tara who is from Northern Ireland and she suffered with postpartum psychosis and she's going to be sharing her experiences today. We're going to welcome Tara to the podcast. So welcome Tara to the Taters Life podcast. Hi there. How are you? I'm really good. I'm looking forward to this. Raising awareness about this is absolutely vital. I mean, when you came forward and said, oh yeah, like I'm willing to chat about my experiences, I was like, I have no idea what this is. And that's slightly concerning because now that I know a little bit more about it, everybody needs to know about it. It's terrifying, it's dangerous, and it actually does take lives. So it's so important to raise awareness and talk about our experiences. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And before we get into it, I'd like to sort of paint a picture of what you like doing and what you were like in school or if you have any underlying mental health issues that may have sorted, festered their way into your postpartum psychosis. So, um... A little bit about me, I am a technical delivery manager for a web agency and what that means is I am a project manager with a very big background in development. So I can make the code changes but I can also manage other people making code changes, that's basically it. Oh wow, that actually sounds really, really difficult to do. Do you enjoy what you do? (laughs) Um, I love it, I've been working with the same agency for 12 12 or 13 years now so yeah it's been yeah since, oh, wow, since quite then. some time <laughs> yeah so in school I was really into art I absolutely loved everything to do with art and I did interactive multimedia design at uni because I wanted to be a graphic designer it turned out it was quite difficult to get that kind of job so I basically just started working for this agency and I've just kept you know just kept working for them all this time and moving up the ladder and you know changing careers slightly and then taking time out from maternity leave but it has the right amount of creativity with organization which is what I love I kind of like I kind of um thrive on um ticking off lists and making lists and things oh my gosh Um, I feel that completely honestly I don't know if I'm the only person that does this so if there's a task not on my to-do list and then I put it on my to-do list and I cross it off and I'm like oh that felt good didn't it (laughs) I don't know if that's just me no it's not I write stuff down just to tick it off (laughs) I'm glad um, I'm not the only one thank you Tara (laughs) um I think that that actually it it filters in quite nicely with the whole I have had eating disorder when I was 17 and I was a little bit obsessed with calories and in and out and you know all these things that kind of came from that obsessive personality only you know we didn't know that back then I suppose there was some CBT therapy whenever I was 17 but you know basically got treated and it was all fine and met my husband and you know life went lovely and went we got married in Dubrovnik and um honeymooned in the Maldives you know typical 
it was it was beautiful and fantastic and he's everything and I um they got pregnant and then went to the consultant because the doctor said you need to see to the consultant because you have a history of you know an eating disorder and they were worried about you know I think they were worried about gaining weight during pregnancy and that fluctuation and how I would react to it so the consultant did a little bit of an assessment and she was like do you know what you're completely fine it was so long ago that you had this and you know you're recovered there's been no 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 um relapses we're just going to put you with midwife led delivery you know whenever whenever you have babies you've got consultant led where the consultant will do all your appointments so you've got midwife led which is a bit more organic and a bit more flowy and a bit more you know whimsical well, no. I don't think that's the right <laughs> word but that's what I assumed it was anyway <laughs> I was midwife led with my second and it turns out that there wasn't that much difference but I was obsessed with being midwife led so you have two little ones at the moment yeah. and that's very very sweet and what are the ages of your little ones so i've got my, my eldest is four and my youngest is two. Oh my god so your eldest is going to be going into school soon yeah he's going to p1 on in september that is so exciting they do grow up so quick don't they there's me chatting about it as if i have my own children <laughs> i'm just like they grow up <laughs> but they no, do, sweet. They grow up really fast and with your first child, did you have any sort of postpartum psychosis or was it just for your second? So with Riley, I was consultant-led. I don't know why, but they decided that um, everything was fine and I was moved to midwife-led. And then when I had Riley, it was a 20-year-old labour and emergency C-section. So it was oh little bit hard to handle and he he he, uh he had trouble feeding so there was a little bit of a they always say day four you start to cry I think it's day four um I had that so I would say maybe I had baby blues and that's basically the um the transition from all those hormones and being a mummy and not getting sleep and you know it does just you know mess with you but like I was fine by day six you know it was just yeah definitely I think people don't realize like how hormonal it is being a mother like once that as it as if I realized but like once you've delivered sort of things everything sort of settles down but your life is no longer the same it will never be the same like now you've got a little one running around crying keeping you up all night everything like that so yeah I feel that a little bit. And with your second, what sort of symptoms were going on for you to be like, oh gosh, maybe something isn't okay? Well, this is the thing. I didn't know that I wasn't okay. She came quite quickly. So Riley's delivery was 28 hours and an emergency C-section. So it was really hard. Maisie, I was in the hospital for two hours and she just popped out. One of the things I think triggered the psychosis um, was her birthday was 2102 and she was born at 2102. So there was this whole magical thing feeling about her from day dot because she came quickly the, the labor was perfect she was just this perfect little pixie on my chest you know there was just whereas with Riley it was a c-section it was a lot more medical it was a lot more 
terrifying, really, which is quite funny because Maisie was in, ended up being the terrifying birth. But Riley medically was terrifying and Maisie medically was perfect and natural and everything I, I wanted. When you say that um, like everything was perfect and it was something very magical from like sort of day one, I guess, mm-hmm. can you like chat more about like what you meant by that feeling of magical because there's obviously that magical about being a mum and you know everything like that but was this a different sort of magical can't really explain it whenever I did a hypnobirthing course I read positive birth stories and they always said the endorphins wow and I was like I had endorphins whenever I had Riley I don't know what they're talking about if you can imagine that extreme euphoria that's what it feels like after you have a baby but it reacted badly with me and it became more, you know. So so most mummies will, I assume, I haven't actually spoken to mummies about it, but most of them will have endorphins in the last a couple of hours and then they'll go to sleep and then they'll wake up and they'll be fine. I just couldn't sleep. And I do remember waking up after a sleep and feeling deflated slightly. And I was like, oh my goodness, I have been such an idiot. I have been really buzzing around this ward and being really disruptive and really annoying to these poor midwives. So I did know that that was going around, but it, you know, it just kept playing on me. It wasn't like the next day I didn't have anything. It just grew and grew and grew. And when you say that you were like bouncing around whatever did you just have like an excessive amount of energy like did you just not feel tired because you had this huge sense of euphoria going on so I fainted after I had Maisie um because I was doing too much standing and talking to the mummy across from me and I just turned white and fainted and then whenever I wanted to like go down the ward go to the toilet and whatever I think I was walked in like a a wheelchair or something I vaguely remember and then I just thought I I don't want to be a burden on these people so like I would paddle back to my to the ward with my feet (laughs) Um, and you know looking back I'm like that was not normal uh, at all that wasn't normal but to me that made sense so it was more like my husband described it as like I was a little bit drunk it was like you know whenever your inhibitions go out the window and you're like I don't realize that this is gonna offend somebody or this is gonna look weird to someone else I'm gonna just go dance in the street or I'm going to steal a traffic cone you know it's that that kind of attitude you don't think about the midwives at the station looking at you making notes and wondering what's going on but I actually haven't told you all of it so I had Maisie I had a little bit of a, a fainting fit I got a blood transfusion and they said that that was why I fainted. So that was okay. I went home and everything was fine. Everything was fine. I just, I was just really, really tired. But also my mind was like, I need to feed her. I need to make sure she's got fresh clothes. I need to do laundry. My mother-in-law's been at my house for four days. So I need to hoover. You know, I felt like I couldn't relax. And then the anemia started. So I had symptomatic anemia, which is really strange. You can't really explain it, but you feel like you can feel the blood pumping around your veins. Oh, my word. Yeah. So my husband and his mother-in-law were planning a really nice dinner. 
big steak dinner and I was like I'm just gonna chill in our bedroom and you know feed Maisie and relax and um I got up and my legs just stopped working literally I couldn't walk forward or back I was just paralyzed and then I tried to fall asleep I just thought I'll, I'll sleep it off and I got like I can't explain it but I feel like everyone needs to know when people say that they have trouble sleeping because of anxiety it's like a jerk you know like you jerk awake I don't yes. know if you've ever experienced that I didn't I've never experienced that so I didn't know it was anxiety that was keeping me awake and I thought I was dying because my brain wouldn't let me sleep it wouldn't let me shut off I messaged my husband and said I need an ambulance right now I'm dying and he can't he ran up the stairs and he was like what the hell and I, I was in tears I'd actually put myself into a panic attack that had paralyzed me I couldn't move just the tears oh were streaming and my arms were down by the side of the bed and and I was like I'm dying I don't want to die I love my life I love my kids what is going on and my husband ran the maternity ward where I had left so this was the Thursday or the Wednesday and I had left the Sunday night or the Monday and um, basically they called me back in and that's where things started to get really rough so been a couple of days of a little bit a little bit busy in the head and a little bit thoughtsy, but mostly in control. And then the anemia hit. Um, and then th- this is where things got worse. So I was I was back in the hospital. So they had seen me be a little bit busy and a little bit buzzy and a little bit annoying. And then they see me at this stage where it was like, is she always this hyper? It's three in the morning. Has she not slept? Why is she still on her laptop? You know, so many questions and they basically did some blood tests and found out that I had anemia and offered me um an emergency blood transfusion at like three in the morning so we got that and then they offered me another one I think around nine and I was like yeah I'll just take it I'm gonna take everything now because I need to find out what has gone on and then the consultant mental uh, mental health consultant came to see me and this is where it gets tricky because she told me I think you might have postpartum psychosis and I was like what is that and still really hyper and talking loads and she's like it's when your mood goes up but it keeps going up and up and up that was the only description I got of it so it's not just your feelings going up and up and up is it a lot darker than that um it's very dark it's very dangerous it can take lives it can destroy families this is not just manic moods I really want to clean the house and I don't want to sleep disorder this is this is serious this is dangerous and this is killing women and babies did you have thoughts of killing your like self or others when you were going through this so not at that time at that time I thought the consultant really didn't know what she was talking about unfortunately I just thought oh it's fine um they discharged me on the Monday so she came to see me on the Friday and I was forced to stay all weekend and I just kept telling the nurses and midwives I am a drain on the NHS right now so yeah basically anything that came into my head I said it that was all the symptoms I was showing in the hospital, um, buzzing around. I started asking for hugs because um, because of COVID, 
my husband wasn't allowed in and I got lonely and my daughter turned a week and I was in hospital on my own and at 2102 I got really upset and I called the buzzer and an auxiliary came in and I just said look I just want a hug I just want a hug and I want to be home why am I here and she gave me a hug and that was the start of essentially the main symptoms I started counting hugs I started asking for more hugs I felt very very comfortable with all the midwives very friendly I FaceTimed my best friend while while I was in the bath which um we were close but we're not that close never done that before and then things started getting weird where the the consultant had a weird mask on do you know like one of those big oh yeah yeah like the shield sort of things And she started wearing that shortly after I told one of the auxiliaries that I had had COVID and I assumed that I was contagious. And I started wearing a mask around the ward and they brought my husband in and they said, look, you know, what what is her state of of mind right now? Is she she okay? And I slept for him. So they were like, okay, no, she's just fine. She maybe is just a bit anxious about COVID because I was. That was one of my triggers was COVID. But I got home anyway. And one of the midwives before I left said, I hope I never see you again. And God love her. She just meant, please don't have any more kids because I can't handle you. (laughs) But that triggered something as well. So we've got her date of birth that's special. We've got the fact that she's never going to see me again. And I went to bed but I didn't sleep, but I thought I did. But I kept getting this, your daughter's special. Your daughter's going to heaven. Your daughter is amazing. Your daughter is the golden child. And I can't explain exactly what happened, but if somebody said something to me, I'm never going to, I hope I never see you again. I somehow assumed that my baby would die at midnight. And you know, that sounds so crazy because that makes absolutely no sense. But that's what the psychosis did. It it ties things together. My granny, God love her, when she said, um, life goes by in a blink of an eye, as you can imagine, where I thought she was going. Oh gosh, yeah. So this midwife said that to me. Uh, I woke up thinking that my daughter was dead or dying. I ran down the stairs to check on her because it was absolutely terrifying. And I lifted her up by the arms and she was sleeping. And I was so terrified that she was dying or dead that I lifted her up by the arms, basically woke her. And this didn't happen. But looking back, I've convinced myself that my husband yelled at me and said, what are you doing? Baby's asleep, leave her alone. And I thought, I'm a danger. I'm actually a danger to my daughter. And I lifted a pillow and went into the kitchen and put it over my face. And I had that delusion slash hallucination for a long time. It wasn't actually until a few months ago that my husband told me that wasn't what happened. He didn't know what was going through my head. So he brought me back upstairs. And then an hour later, I pulled my son out of bed to do skin to skin. And he was two and a half. So Again, it comes back to the the voices said, if you don't sleep, your baby is going to die at midnight. And I really wanted to sleep. And I can't even remember the time, but in my perceived head, it was maybe 11, 11.30. So I pulled my son out of bed because I knew how important it was to sleep. 
Um, my whole life depended on me sleeping. My daughter's life depended on me sleeping and I still couldn't. This this is where it had got to from people telling me you need to sleep. It's really beneficial for you to sleep right now. Just everyone kept telling me to sleep and it, it almost, it made it impossible to sleep. Yeah. And I think as well, if you're having those thoughts as well, how can you sleep? Do you know what I mean? Yes. If yes that's exactly it if I'm going to die I'm not going to fall asleep and make it easy no absolutely and so with that being said you know what you said that you thought you'd put the pillow on your face mm-hmm. was that an hallucination then this is the thing my husband says it was but to me it was so real I remember the, the smell of the cushion I remember the texture of the cushion. I remember where I sat in the kitchen and put it over my face. And he's saying none of it happened. And it's it's hard because I trust him 100%. But also I trust my mind or I thought I did. And and that that's really tricky. And I've had to work through that in therapy because, I mean, what do you do with that information? I just keep telling myself that I thought I was a danger to my daughter and I was going to do the right thing in my head to make sure that she wasn't in danger. And that was just to take me out of the equation. And I was prepared to do that. And that is why this condition kills. It's not necessarily mothers very rarely touch their own children. But those thoughts are there. They are processed in a way that terrifies the mother into thinking that she is a danger. Because you weren't a danger to your daughter you wanted the best for her sort of thing um at least that's what it like comes across as like you just wanted her to be safe because she's too pure she's just absolutely god's gift i guess you just wanted to sort of make sure that nothing bad happened to her and you know it's really really hard listening to this but you know we have to talk about it and with all of that being said did you have any other hallucinations and i say that like with quotation marks and as much empathy as possible was there any other hallucinations that you had yeah so in the timeline this is now 12 o'clock my husband's like what is going on she's just pulled our son out of bed she is refusing to sleep things are being very very strange and they're getting worse and I fell asleep again and then at four in the morning I woke up and I said to my husband completely deadpan okay it's time and he was like time for what and I goes it's time to suffocate the baby and he was like I'm I'm, I'm sorry what yeah. and I remember saying those words I remember seeing his reaction And I remember thinking, well, I'm not going to do it. I don't want to do it. Someone else is going to have to do it because it has to be done. And that was literally this thought pattern train thing that I had going on. It was like, God's telling me this has to be done. I'm I'm saying I don't want to do it. But I still was talking about these things that were just so absolutely horrific and terrifying. And I even wrote in my journal, do not suffocate the baby. Oh, my Which, word. Yeah. So um, <laughs> funny story. That's why I decided to design my own journals. I, I had a journal and I wrote loads of things in it. And then I got a psychosis and I started using it a lot more, like, insane. Um, I wasn't allowed it because 
I was focusing on it too much. And that's something that a lot of people who have psychosis will say that they focused on the Bible or they focused on on a book and they felt like the TV was talking to them. It is a common symptom. Mm-hmm. For me, it was writing everything down in my journal. So I wrote, do not suffocate the baby. I wrote, buy a mop, sleep. <laughs> you know, it was just a to-do list. I went back to journaling and I went back to the same journal that I had used previously and I couldn't, I couldn't go back to it. too triggering. Yeah, it was so triggering. I just, I remember writing it down and I like, underlined do not just in case when I came to or whenever I woke up or whenever I you know became myself again I would remember that I had said that and it was so important that I had written do not wow and with that being said was that night so when you said you know to your husband you know it's time was that the catalyst then like did your husband say right you need help he rang the mental health crisis team and they were like okay so here's the thing we think that your wife is suffering from postpartum psychosis do not leave her alone do not leave her alone with the children and make sure there are always two adults in the house at the same time we will be round first thing with a consultant to get a proper diagnosis and a plan of action for recovery it's completely treatable but it is medical emergency and that's what he was told at four in the morning. And as far as I'm concerned, that's that's not fair. Why was it? Why was he not told on Thursday? Whenever she said that to me, yeah, she should have been told uh, straight away. So, can I? I'm trying to like gauge a timeline. So you left the hospital with your um, little one, say on the Monday. You were yeah. back in hospital by the Thursday. That How many days were you in hospital? So. The second time, I think they call it readmission. I was in Thursday, consultant came on Friday and she said, look, keep her in over the weekend. And I was discharged on the Monday. And then the mental health treatment team came the Monday. So everything that I've told you is only up to Monday at 4 a.m. She's only been born about a week now. Yeah, she's a week and a day old at this stage. So this Um, is really quick process like it's happening and it's happening now so from that Thursday that I I didn't sleep for the the whole time I was in the hospital so that that gives you an idea of how long I didn't sleep for because I didn't get into a psychiatric specialized psychiatric unit until the Friday of that week so we're talking Monday 4am the consultant comes to give me a diagnosis at 11am on the Tuesday yes 11am not even nine not even half eight, my husband, and I remember this so well, he sat with a chair, in a chair, against our door. Oh my to make sure that I could not get out. I could not get to my kids. And I could not do anything. He literally just sat and watched me the whole night. And he was talking to me. And I remember bits and pieces. I do remember some sleep or perceived sleep because I didn't have any sleep but um I do remember feeling like I had slept and then the consultant came and the, this is this is still an ongoing normal birth so I had the mid the, the community midwives in as well so they're in at nine o'clock in the morning this thing's going on they're trying to weigh my baby at this point my psychosis had decided that Maisie deserved to live thank god but I had had another baby called Isla 
and I had her on the Sunday. So she's only two days old, but she's but a stillborn. But you hadn't had the baby, so this is... No, this is just my brain trying to make sense of the fact that I never saw Maisie awake. I only ever saw her sleeping. And my brain could not comprehend that she was the stillborn. It kind of like made another baby that was the stillborn. So we called her Isla. And I have videos of me holding her in tears because I don't tell my family. I just tell them that it's Isla. I don't tell them that it's, you know, my my, my stillborn baby because that would just be... So your family, they, you're holding like nothing in your arms? No, I'm holding Maisie, but she's sleeping. Okay, I see. Okay. Sorry. I had convinced myself Maisie was upstairs sleeping and this was Isla in my arms. Completely different baby yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. Oh my word. Okay. Um. With that being said, so you were diagnosed at eleven o'clock. Were you put into hospital then? Were you taken no. away? They said to my husband and my mother-in-law, who was staying with us because of COVID, and she was shielding. Mummies recover better when they're in their home environment. So we need you to keep her at home, put her in a low stimulus environment, um, dark no tv no screens no journal my only job was to and at that point they were like no more breastfeeding nope so you know i got that basically taken off me so my only job was to sleep and they just kept giving me antipsychotic drugs and they said to my husband that um we need to keep her at home and hopefully these drugs will kick in and and it'll be fine they didn't say there is an option. So we have a full, so I get I get to the psychiatric ward on the Friday. So by Wednesday, I think I'd gotten over my three babies thing by Wednesday. And we were in a bit of a weird place, but it was a bit more stable. But I was exhausted. I hadn't slept from the previous Thursday. Okay. So we're going on a full week without sleep and I started fainting and just dropped. Was this because you weren't sleeping? I'm not sure. A lot of people have said it could be anxiety. A lot of people have said it was exhaustion. Um, My husband said that the consultant said to him it was to do with my blood pressure dropping because my body just needed me to sleep with all of that sort of being said and the fainting and stuff what did the recovery look like and what is the difference between baby blues and postpartum psychosis is it like some sort of spectrum where baby blues is on one end and postpartum psychosis are like completely the other end and what did the treatment you receive look like baby blues is I don't want to say mild because people who experience it do say, you know, it is extreme, but it is a reaction to the hormones and it can lead to low moods. It can lead to low energy. It can lead to depressing thoughts, but it it's, it's manageable. Whereas a psychosis is complete disassociation from reality. Like, you know, I'm sitting here and I know I'm in my kitchen But if I was having a psychotic episode after having a baby, aka postpartum psychosis, um, I might not be aware that I'm in in the kitchen. I might be just, you're constantly in your head, you're constantly thinking, but you're not taking anything in. 
Does that make sense? So your your brain is doing a lot, but it's not taking in a lot of your environment or anybody around you or anything like that. So it's a a really extreme mental health condition that comes on almost instantly. Yeah. Crazy for me to think that you didn't really show any signs or symptoms in your first and then your second, it was very very um sudden and how how did your recovery look then so I the reason I ended up in the psychiatric ward is basically my husband broke um that's not exactly what happened Uh, it was it was me fainting it was too dangerous I started to faint on stairs I fainted and nearly hit the, the door jam there was just so many occasions where I was putting myself in dangerous uh, situations and my husband was worried about uh, falling down the stairs breaking an arm leg you know carrying a baby that I wasn't meant to carry and um, fainting so um, it just the consultant was called and there was a decision made and I actually don't remember but apparently I was like yep yeah, okay that makes sense and I packed I packed two weeks worth of outfits for Maisie so that she had all these um these beautiful outfits and I like did the little cards you know the ones that's like um my first bath my first oh yeah yeah this is a right fit for a first Easter and this is a right fit for this and I did like two weeks worth of outfits um I packed a lovely you know I thought I was going to spa packed really nice stuff like um you know hair curlers and nail stuff you know I was just gonna pamper myself and I got there and walked into this room and I just flipped it was it was stark it was cold it was medical it felt medical it had bars in the windows it had the bars on both sides of the bed in case you know you were rolling it didn't even have a a bathroom door it had a shower curtain into the wet room oh my word um I had to get my dressing gown um cords taken off me I had to get my shoelaces taken off me I wasn't allowed crochet hooks. This was not the environment that I wanted to be in. And not only all of that, my kids weren't allowed in. So your um, little ones were staying at home with your husband. So you were there completely alone and isolated in this prison-like environment. Uh, The thing is... (laughs) I wouldn't call it a prison because it was so warm and friendly. You know, like everyone was so lovely. I couldn't have asked for more at that ward. They were amazing. They let me write down every motivational quote on every wall. And then um, they let me, I do believe, I don't remember, but apparently I got the the colouring art, um, the art room open at like two in the morning so that I could colour. So they were so accommodating, they were amazing. But it, at the end of the day, it is a hospital ward and it felt like that. Yeah, definitely. And how long were you in your um, recovery process for? So um, I remember one of, the, one of the nurses saying to me, I got really upset one day whenever my kids were allowed to visit and they were in this room and there was a social worker there. And I got really upset. And one of the nurses said to me, if you want to leave here, you need to up your meds. And I don't remember anything else, but I must have upped my meds because I was out maybe a week later. So that was three weeks. They they just kept trying different antipsychotics 
army and some of them worked and some of them didn't and you know it was kind of like a wave of recovery where there would be days where I would remember quite a lot um I would remember where I was and then I would get really upset for being there you know and I would convince them that I shouldn't be here I would write um journals again but I wasn't allowed a journal so I used the back of coloring books I used um husband brought in loads of coloring books and I wrote I, I would like to see them actually but I basically wrote down everything that made me happy in this this coloring book while I was coloring so and I wrote down the friends that I made in there um they had code names because you know you weren't allowed to use their names but it was like the queen of hearts the troublemaker the um queen of diamonds because she was just such a diamond you know what was your nickname I don't think I had one. Oh no I was the boss actually <laughs> yeah. I, I was yes. the boss um I just I had a t-shirt that said the boss on it and one of yeah. one of the wee, um, women were like that's it she's the boss now you know but it was really sad because on the days that I had clarity I sort of realized that everyone around me was very unwell and that was very unsettling because when you're in a certain place you don't realize and you just become friendly with everybody and it's lovely environment and then as you start to get well you start to realize that actually these people are suffering quite badly and I remember one of them oh it was heartbreaking to watch she was she was having an argument with herself out in the in the courtyard and she was like properly yelling at herself and I'm pretty sure it was something I said that triggered it because you know my name was mentioned a few times in her argument to herself and I remember saying to one of the nurses like what what have I done what have I done to hurt this this lady and they were like you're getting better and yeah that's really bad for them so you weren't in a mother and baby unit then so you were in an actual like psychotic hospital wards yeah. thing mm-hmm. oh wow and is is there no mother and baby units in northern ireland no um i work with the charity action on postpartum psychosis and we are really trying hard um through raising awareness and um uh sort of like charitable campaigns to hopefully get a mother and baby unit in Northern Ireland. Since I've had Maisie, we do have a perinatal mental health um, team. I think there's a few and um, it's actually a really nice story. I really became quite good friends with a couple of the mental health nurses in the psychiatric ward. And um, I just went on Facebook into like a little group and said, I'd like to reach out. And they, um, they got in touch and one of them actually changed careers and she's now working in the perinatal mental health team and I've since been in touch with quite a lot of the nurses that were mummies that were at the psychiatric ward and you know just chatted about my recovery and yeah it's it's actually been really lovely that's why I say it didn't feel like a prison it felt like home but it wasn't home I get it completely and you know I'm I feel so happy that you're on the road to recovery now because that you know, it must have been traumatic for your family and stuff, but I can't imagine how it must have felt for you. And like, you know, reflecting back on that, and that's not who you are as a person. With that, like, all sort of being said, you're raising awareness at the moment. And do you want to chat a bit about your Instagram? Um, 
and what your Instagram sort of talks about. So um, the Instagram is day.journals. It actually wasn't what it became. It was literally, I decided, um, my husband basically said, let's make you a new journal because you loved it, but you can't use that one that you used to use because of all the bad memories. Let's just make you a brand new one. And I just got designing and I really enjoyed it. Um, And then I realized that the account isn't private and it's also not anonymous but it doesn't really have connections to me the way my other Instagram accounts do you know with um, family and friends and things and I just started talking about my experience and it was kind of um, you know the journals are all about mental health and I started with things that I went through with recovery um, that I found useful so books that I found useful that my CBT therapist recommended things like um I can't remember them now what was that it was like walk talk eat sleep drink so basically if you're feeling in a really bad way go for a walk talk to somebody eat something drink water sleep those are like five key things to your life and I started putting posts up like that and then people started engaging and then I just, you know, at the at the end of the day, if we don't talk about this, it's not going to change. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's so good that you are talking about it and I really, really appreciate you coming forward and saying, listen, I really want to talk about this on your platform. Like, that means so much to me and the fact that I'm able to learn about it and share this story on like my platform is like I yeah I'm really really I'm really proud of you for overcoming this because you know it can't have been easy and I have one last question before we close this all up what advice would you give yourself if you were to have another little one or somebody else that's maybe thinking that they're going through this? I would honestly reach out to Action on Postpartum Psychosis. They have an amazing forum. They have an amazing documentation list. They have leaflets and pamphlets. They have everything you could possibly imagine for anyone going through it. If you're a grandparent or a partner or a sister, do you, do you know what I mean? It's not just about mummies, it's about everything. And um, I actually read the forum quite a lot. And there are a lot of mummies that don't have a diagnosis, but think that's what it is. And they're encouraged to the right channels to do the right thing and, and, and say it. It's a really tricky one because I don't know how easy it would be if my husband wasn't as amazing as he is. I don't I don't really know if I would be able to talk about this the way I do. Yeah. So um, it all really does depend. But definitely if you're you're not really ready to talk or speak out loud about it, the forum is the best place to just get advice and to get recovery tips and to really engage with people who get it, who've been there. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that advice is absolutely essential. Like just go out there and just look for the advice because it's not because it's not a really well-known sort of thing that people know about you really do have to dig deep and um one more question actually does it run in families like can this be passed on genetically so this is one of the reasons that i'm doing this this 
I'm really helping with this campaign is my daughter is now susceptible to it. I know she's only two, but if she has to go through the memories and the traumatic um, recovery that I've had to go through, that would break me. So I am going to do my bit to make sure that if she has it and if she experiences it, everything is done the right way. So if she says something, she said it to a mental health nurse and they know what to do and they know what to say. If um, she does anything, heaven forbid, it will be, you know, she will have already been in a safe environment because she'll be in a mother and baby unit because we will get one. Yeah. And um, she won't be separated from her from her kid and she won't have bonding issues and she'll be able to talk about her mental health because I'll have raised her to talk about her mental health. Absolutely. It's so vital in this day and age to talk about mental health because, you know, it was quite a taboo thing back in the day. But times are changing and we need to move with the times. And I really appreciate you coming on this podcast, talking about your experiences and sharing them because we are going to make change. You are going to have a mother and baby unit in Northern Ireland. I literally have full faith that it will happen because you know this can't happen for more people like how many mothers have to die or go through this for something to change so thank you so much Tara it really does mean the world to me well thank you thanks for having me and yeah I will try my best to raise awareness on my Instagram and hopefully we'll start to see change well, I'll go into link your Instagram into the description box. So if you're a mother out there who feels like, you know, you might need to interact with Tara in some sort of way, the Instagram link will be linked down below. So without further ado, I want to say one last thank you and I'll see you guys in my next one. Thank you so much, Tara. Thank you. Bye.